Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Morquecho, and you're listening to episode three. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is Abby Grace Springman. Abby is an international photographer, educator, and speaker based just outside of Washington, D.C. She has the extreme joy of doing life and business with Matt, her kind-hearted husband of eight years, a frequent traveler in Paris, and lifelong ballet aficionado. She's a fierce believer in a life richly lived, both within and outside of the office. In 2016, after a year and a half of fruitless conception efforts, Matt and Abby decided to take their infertility journey public to encourage others walking the same path and along the way felt the Lord pulling their heart and eyes to adoption. You're listening to episode three. Hey, Abby, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm so, so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm very happy to have you on the show because of a lot of reasons and we'll get into some of that. But uh, just a quick, quick background, Abby and Matt are expectant parents. Uh, Their baby is prayerfully on the way right now. But Abby and I met, I just want to give you a little backstory. We met almost, I just looked it up on Instagram, almost exactly two years ago uh, from today's recording date. And it feels like that isn't long enough because I feel like the amount of conversations we've had in the last two years and just the amount of things we've felt in the last two years has been more than two years worth. But Abby and I met at a conference for creative entrepreneurs and we were both speaking. And I remember we met at this like big grassy lawn outside of the venue and I was holding one of our friend Caitlin's babies and Abby and I, I don't remember how the conversation started. Maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, But we ended up talking about all things infertility and adoption. And we were like, circling this grassy lawn, like having this heart to heart the first time we met. And I just walked away feeling like, yeah, she's my kind of girl. And um, I just love how real and honest and passionate Abby is. And I know that's going to come through. And I just can't wait for you guys to be encouraged by her. So that's a little backstory on us. But um, Abby, so we're going to talk about a lot of things, infertility, adoption, Jesus, surrender, all of those things. Why don't you first just take us back to that like August 2017 or even further back and give us a little bit of background on your story about trying to have a family? Yeah. So um, my husband, Matt, and I have been married for eight and a half years at this point. And when we first got married, I was like, I mean, we always knew we wanted to have kids, but I was in a place of building my business. And I was just like, I do not want children right now because this would mess up everything that I'm planning, like this trajectory, this momentum that we have for our business, which was maybe one of the more selfish things I've ever thought in my life. Um, but I remember having a conversation with Matt, this, like, it all came to a head one night where I was just like, I feel like having a baby, like from the moment I get pregnant, it's going to be like a nine month ticking time bomb to the time my business implodes. And my husband was like, where on earth did you get that concept from? And I think it had to do with growing up in like a conservative church, but I just felt like if I had a baby that it was going to mean I couldn't own my business anymore. Um, and that was not the case. Um, but when we started trying for a family and, um, you know, six months went by, 12 months went by, 18 months went by, I started feeling like like I was getting, um, like this was payback for the fact that I didn't want a baby at first. Um, or for the fact that I had tried to control the situation at first, that somehow this was like the universe's way of, I don't know, laughing at me, which first of all, the Lord is in control of all things. So by the universe, I mean, God, and like, our God is not a spiteful God. He's not an unkind God. So that was just like false theology that I was telling myself. Um, So we started trying for a family in May of 2015. So it's been more than four years at this point. And I was like the concept of it taking a while literally never occurred to me. Like I had been tracking my ovulation with an app. And I remember telling people like the night before I was like, well, better have a beer tonight because I'm going to get pregnant tomorrow. Like, isn't that fun doing all those numbers and all those apps and like taking your temperature and like all sorts of so unsexy sex and all fun. that. So fun. So <laughs> um, But just the like arrogance that was in me of like, well, of course this will happen because it just didn't, it like, it wasn't even on my spectrum that we, it could be difficult. Um, and so um, the first like year we just kind of tried normally, like 
got really frustrated every month that the answer was no, because I felt like a failure. Um, like it was somehow my fault that we weren't pregnant. And after about like a year to a year and a half, we like went to a doctor and we're like, Hey, kind of like what's going on here. This shouldn't take this long. We've never even had like a false positive. What the heck is happening? And, um, had all the numbers run, uh, for both myself and my husband and nothing was wrong. There was no kind of indicator as to why we were having trouble getting pregnant. Um, they had me do a couple of rounds of Clomid, which made me turn into a hormonal rage monster. And Matt and I got in the worst fight we've ever been in when I was on Clomid, not to, not to even mention the hot flashes, um, realized that was not, that wasn't going to work for us. And so we started seeing a fertility specialist and, um, spent almost a year pursuing further fertility treatments. We were doing IUIs and spent thousands of dollars, um, and had nothing to show for it and just felt so abandoned and, um, forsaken and like really forgotten. Like, God, where are you in the midst of this? Like you say that children are a good thing. Like you command us to be fruitful and multiply and you're not multiplying. Um, like what's happening here. And like our last round of fertility treatments, I can ended up putting me in the hospital. Um, so then we had hospital bills on top of everything. And it just was like, we can't keep doing this, man. Like this is, this is exhausting. This is taking a toll, like a, an actual physical toll on my body for all the thousands of dollars that we've spent on fertility treatments over the last year, year and a half. Like we may as well have taken those money, taken those dollars and like put them in the toilet and flushed it because we literally have nothing to show for it. It's not even like a progress bar where, mm -hmm. you know, you get 10% growth <laughs> for each fertility treatment. And after four, you're 40% of the way there. Like, no, it's, you're literally starting from the ground up every time. Um, and I just remember sitting on the stage at church, um, after service one Sunday after our last failed treatment and like totally broken and, and just like, my God, my God, why, like, where are you? Where are you in this? Like you've forsaken me. You're not here. And one of our pastor's wives, um, pointing me towards the book of Habakkuk, um, to like, and reading through Habakkuk and like, that was a turning point for me of, um, realizing that, you know, throughout these like two and a half or three years of infertility at that point, um, that my trust in God's goodness had been 100% based in whether he delivered what I wanted or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and reading through Habakkuk, seeing that conversation between Habakkuk and God of like, Lord, like we are your people. We like, we are Israel. We're your chosen people. And like, you are not like, where are you in the midst of this? And like, at the end of the book, like Habakkuk being able to essentially say like, even so, like I will choose to worship, um, through like, what, like reading that and seeing that unfold and, and finally understanding, oh, like God is good regardless of our circumstance. And like, his faithfulness doesn't depend on whether I get what I want. Right. Um, like, like where's the, where, where is hope in this situation? And like realizing that my concept of hope was just so far from what the biblical definition of hope was. And like being able to reconcile that was finally when I could feel my heart starting to heal mm -hmm. um, and being able to worship in the midst of weeping. Yeah. That's so good. I felt a lot of those similar things on our journey as well, especially in those early years. Um, looking back, we feel so wise now. <laughs> if only we knew, if only we listened. I always tell Jesse, I feel like the Israelites, like roll your <laughs> eyes at them. It's like, come on people. He just like parted the sea and like the next day you're grumbling. And yeah. I felt like that so many times, like God would deliver something, whether it was like a small thing through a friend, just like encouragement or a big thing, but like, God, God, where are you? And he kept showing up, but like, it wasn't the the thing that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. um, like his faithfulness wasn't the right kind of faithfulness. Yes, yes. And therefore it somehow didn't count. Right. 
yeah, like we're the ones to say, no, I'd like a little bit of this over here and a little bit of this over here, please. But God just, he knows better because he's God mm-hmm. and I'm not. That's been my mm-hmm. biggest lesson. Yes. Abby, so in 2017, I remember us walking around and talking about you. We were, Jesse and I were like deep in the throes. So that was August and we got the call about our daughter in December. And we were, we were like in a long season of waiting like for this phone call. Um, and you were asking me about like, so how did you decide about adoption? How, so like during that season of like, um, seeing God deliver, like changing your perspective on, you know, what his faithfulness looks like, but how did you go from, okay, we're in this season of infertility. We're, we're pursuing fertility treatments to, um, God opening your eyes to adoption and like making that decision. Cause I know for me personally, like I put a lot of pressure on myself, to like make the right decision, quote unquote. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, like how that happened. Yeah. So we had gone to a meeting with an adoption agency actually in June of 2017. So that was when we were in the middle of treatments with our fertility specialist. Cause we were like, okay, we've had three failed ones at this point. Like maybe this isn't what the Lord has planned for us. Like maybe we should check out adoption and just walked away from that meeting feeling like not settled, not that there was anything wrong with the agency that we met with, just like, this is not the right time for this right now. Um, and so fast forward six months from, from then. So December of 2017, we had finished doing IUIs and like had done as many of them as it was as it made sense to do. And our doctor was essentially like rule of diminishing returns, like I don't recommend doing any more of these because it hasn't worked yet. Um, And so you guys are going to need to look at moving on to IVF, which I was so angry about because I was like, we have what's called unexplained infertility. All of our numbers are good. Like my cycles are fine. They're very regular. Like what is going on? Like we shouldn't, we're not the type of people who should have to do IVF. There should be a solution for this. And it's always more frustrating to like not have an answer versus exactly. Yeah. I was like, I, I'm a very like logical person when it comes to this kind of thing. And I'm like, it's science. Like there's a 25% chance of any given cycle that you should get pregnant without any mitigating circumstances. And we've mitigated the circumstances and we're still not pregnant. Like I felt like I was looking around and everyone around me was adding two and two and getting four. And when Matt and I added two and two, we only got three. And I could not understand why, like I tried counting on my hands, on my toes, using a calculator, long division, literally nothing gave us four. We could only ever get three. And I just, it was infuriating because it didn't make any sense. So we met with a fertility clinic, um, to discuss like what IVF would look like for us and, um, walking out of that office with the final numbers and, and realizing like, Oh my gosh, we don't have that much money in our bank account. Like that would be really unwise for us to just like plop down cash for it. But at the same time, Matt and I didn't feel comfortable with like, they're like, we offer financing. And I was like, dude, babies are expensive to like maintain much less to procure one. So <laughs> we didn't feel comfortable. Not that there's, you know, just like for us personally, like with the way our small business works, like we didn't feel comfortable financing our fertility treatments. And so we're like, okay, well, let's wait. Let's like put this on hold for maybe like three or four months. Let's launch a couple of things. Let's um, maybe come up with a few new offerings and let's like find a way to self-finance this because we really, really want to be parents and I really want to be pregnant. Um, and so over that period of, that was really hard for me to be like, okay, we're just going to do nothing right now. Like there's, there's, we, us trying naturally is not working. We're not pursuing any fertility treatments actively. We just have to wait until we have enough money. And the more time that went by, um, the less settled that we felt about pursuing IVF, even though I so desperately wanted to carry a child, Mm -hmm. it just like it, like we didn't feel settled. Neither of us, we both wanted to, we wanted to be able to start, but neither of us was like, let's just do it. And Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that um, Matt and I are like very much on the same page where like we're, we always check in with one another. And so we had a lot of conversations like, how are you feeling? Like, do you want to just start? No. Okay. Like neither do I, I'm glad we both feel the same way. Um, and then in like April of last year was when things started to change. Um, there was like 
it was just like, we had all of these people in our lives or like people who are coming back into our lives that adoption was either a very present part of their story or like had been a part of their story, like a, a part of how they built their family. Um, for example, I shot a wedding on April 7th of last year and the officiant was the, um, head of crew when I was in college, she was the college ministry. And, um, I was like, Hey, like how long did you and your wife try before you guys decided to adopt your son? And he was like, Hmm, I don't know. I think about this song, but like, why are you guys interested in adoption? We'd love to talk with you. It was just very like, Oh wow. No one's offered to do that for us before. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like in April, um, we were doing coaching with you and Jesse and you guys literally took the whole month of April off to go to China to bring Vera home. And like, we got to watch that unfold on social media. Um, there was like a book that I was reading where the author kept talking about adoption, but it wasn't a book about adoption. It was just like, it was all- That is so funny. He's just so hilarious. Yeah. So April was when we kind of started like, okay, maybe, maybe IVF isn't what's next for us. Maybe, maybe adoption is, um, cause I think we had just kind of discounted it after that first meeting with the agency. The, the previous year, but seeing it be such a beautiful way that, that like your family was formed and, and just this, this comment that like, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And like, neither Matt or I could ignore it. Mm. And like slowly, like our hearts began to change from, um, well, I guess if all else fails, then we'll adopt to, Hey, wait a second. Maybe this has always been part of God's plan for us. Um, that, this was never God's plan B. Like this was always how he was going to form our Mm. family. Um, and it just took us until now to see it and realizing that adoption was, it was not a last resort that, you know, there were still other options for fertility treatments that we could have pursued, but to lay those down and, and say, you know what, instead we're choosing adoption because we know this is what God's called us to that, I remember talking with Matt, he came into my office and we were talking about the agency that we wanted to use. And I got excited for the first time about adoption. And I like, it, it was just this like moment of like, yes, this is where we're supposed to be. And it took a year, you know, from the time we first met with an agency to the time that we finally decided this was where we wanted to go. But like for us to be so excited about it was such a beautiful gift that I was not anticipating. Abby, I know that we've had a lot of conversations about um, just a season of waiting or like wanting something that it seems like everybody has and with social media and comparison. I know that's a whole thing these days, especially like in our industry of being creative entrepreneurs, but like from a standpoint of like wanting to have a family and wanting to get pregnant and like, can you tell me a little bit about like what that was like for you? Because I know I've had friends ask me after the fact, and like, once we've kind of come through like the hardest season that we did, like what, like I've had people say to me like, well, what could I have done? Or what should I say to my friends who are going through this? Or like, how are you feeling? And does that still play a part, even though you're expecting to have a baby in the nearish future? Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, I mean, honestly, like that was really, really hard for me. Um, seeing so many of our friends be like, we tried for two months and we got pregnant or like, we literally got pregnant the first time we tried, or we weren't even trying. And, um, just the bitterness that started to take root in my heart because I was so angry with God for not giving me this thing that I felt entitled to. I was like, you're giving this good gift to all of these other people, um, why aren't you giving me the same gift? Um, and you know, you can't expect other people's lives to stop turning. Um, but I think, I mean, just practically speaking, what was really helpful for me was to unfollow any friends whose joy brought me sorrow, like Mm -hmm. in that particular way. Um, I've always struggled with jealousy and comparison and social media has just made that so much, made the capacity for that so much worse, but especially, um, you know, when you get your period again and like someone just announces that they're pregnant for the second time in two years and you're just like, seriously, um, and you're not angry with them because it's not their fault, but in the moment you're really angry Mm -hmm. with them. 
Um, and so just practically speaking, I would choose to unfollow. A, I chose to unfollow a lot of my friends and I put it out there that I was doing that mm-hmm. um, so that people didn't take it personally. Like it's not, I'm not angry with you, but I want to be able to continue to love you as my friend. And right now my heart is just so raw that this particular thing, like I, I want so badly to be able to be joyful for you, but I can't right now. And so I'm going to choose not to watch that that part of your life. And I still love you, but, um, I just need you to be okay with that. And if that's not okay with you, then that's fine too. But in Mm -hmm. order for me to be healthy, this is what I have to do. Yeah. And I think one of the things that that revealed in me was just this spirit of entitlement that I was owed this gift that everyone else was getting. Like, why don't I get one? God, you're giving this great thing to everyone else. Where's mine? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's not how gifts work, even if it's something that so many other people have received. And um, that is one of the things that I'm so grateful for infertility teaching me, um, that I just, I did not realize how much I was demanding of the Lord things that he never promised me. Um, he promises to like the Lord promises to provide for our needs, but like, if he hadn't given that, that's because that wasn't a need at that point in time. Um, and it wasn't a gift that God was choosing to bestow on us. And rather than like choosing to submit to that, there was so much like, well, why did she get it? And I didn't, I'm more deserving than her. And just like all of that ugliness. And it's Mm kind of like, you know, have you ever, maybe when you were a kid, maybe you did this, but like you open all your Christmas presents and your parents are like, I hope you love everything we gave you. And then you turn around and you're like, yeah, but you didn't get me this one thing, like a Red Ryder BB gun. I really wanted a Red Ryder BB gun. <laughs> you're like, going to shoot your eye out. That's why we didn't get it for you. <laughs> but like just the level of ungratefulness for that, that that was essentially what I was doing to our heavenly father of like, mm-hmm. despite all these other amazing things in my life, these beautiful gifts, this one gaping hole is all I can see. And ergo, you must be a bad God because Mm -hmm. you didn't give me what I wanted. And so throughout the last four years, like learning to, first of all, just truly embrace the, the truth that our God is the giver of good gifts. And he's also the author of his perfect timing and his plan is good. Um, and like my definition of good is not necessarily the same as his definition of good and his definition of good will always trump mine. Um, and so being willing to say, or not being willing, but like being able to finally enunciate with a submissive, joyful heart, not my will, but yours, even when it's really painful, has been one of the biggest gifts of infertility that I honestly do not know that I would have learned if we'd gotten pregnant right away. And so in that way, like I'm, I'm grateful for my infertility because it's, um, revealed God's grace to me in a way that I, I could never see before, um, his grace and like where our hope truly lies and just how good he is. Um, and that he works to, to all things together for the good of those who love him, even when I can't see it. Yes, yes, yes. I felt that that was probably my biggest lesson in all of it too. And I felt the same way. Like I maybe, I probably wouldn't have seen that or felt it or experienced it had I gotten what I thought I wanted or what I wanted, but I thought God should give me. So you talk about (laughs) surrendering like your plans a little bit and your will. Like there's this in my mind, there's like the big stuff. Like, what did you have to surrender? I had to surrender like what I thought I should get. I had to, for me personally, like I had to surrender, like the fact that I thought I knew better than God, but like in the, so there's like big stuff, but like, is there anything little, like the day to day, like how did you, or do you currently like deal with, um, just like letting go? Are there, are there things that you need to do like on a daily basis to like remind yourself? Um, I know for me, like I'm such a, like, I'm type A, I'm a planner, I'm all these things. So it's like a daily thing for me to surrender, like, you know, different categories of my life, most of my life. Is there anything big or little, like what else did you have to like let go of um, during that season or, or currently now? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that there are too many like day-to-day things other than just like a heart posture that have changed. Mm-hmm. Um but like, I mean, mostly it's the big stuff, like learning to surrender my plans. Um, I would never have described myself as a flexible person, even though I technically did describe myself as a flexible person one time in a job interview. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, I, 
I, I'm, I'm a very like rigid rule follower. Mm-hmm. My dad works in law enforcement. So it's like, I come by it honestly. Um, but I learning to be able to be flexible when things don't go the way that you're expecting them to, um, and surrendering what I think my plans should be for my life. Um, that like, well, I mean, I had just very practically speaking, like I'd wanted to be done having children by the time I was 30. So we started trying when I was 27 and I was like, we'll get pregnant and then we'll have six months between, and then I'll get pregnant again. And then I'll be done by the time I'm 30. And And then we'll put a little bow on it. Yeah, a pretty little Instagram bow on it. Um, and to get to my 30th birthday and sit on the steps of our townhouse and and cry because I didn't even have a positive pregnancy test to show. Um, that was really, really hard. But um, to the flexibility that that taught me, not only like, okay, stop placing these expectations on the Lord, but when you stop placing expectations on the Lord, it's because he has something better planned for you. And that better, again, my definition of better doesn't necessarily match up with God's definition of better, but that if it's part of his perfect plan for me, then it is just by nature better. Um, and, and learning to gosh, just like, I don't know if this is so much surrendering, but just learning that my life was not my own, um, that I was bought with a price. Um, and that my purpose here on earth is to glorify the King and to tell others about the good news of Jesus. And my purpose here on earth isn't to, you know, get married right out of college, have two babies by the time I'm 30 and then see them off to successful marriages and, or before that, like great college careers. Um, that's, I mean, that's so, that's so fleeting. That's, that's so right here and now instead of eternal. And so to, 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 finally learn to begin to think with eternal perspective of whatever God's doing right now. It's because he has something better in mind down the road, whether that's down the road, like 20 years from now, down the road, three months from now, down the road, 200 years from now, my time, like I may never know why God is doing what he is doing, but whatever the reason is, it is good. Even if it's so hard and it's okay that I don't understand that mystery may never be revealed to me, but that do I trust that God is who he says he is and learning to, for that answer to be yes, um, helped to let go of so many of those big plans. So I don't know if there's anything in the day to day that I would say I surrendered. I mean, I came to cherish my mornings with the Lord, um, mm-hmm. getting up early and having my quiet times. I was never really consistent about that before until we started going through fertility treatments and I was, you know, crying out to the Lord, like, God, please let this round work. And then I would get my period and two weeks would go by. And then I would start like, you know, mornings again, like, God, please let this work. And just like the peace and the joy that would come from those mornings with God, um, that, that, I think that was where the heart changed, like, because of that, that consistent daily dose of leaning on him, crying out to him, like craving his grace. I'd never done that before. What else has he shown you? Like speaking of goodness, like I want to talk a little bit about like where you guys are at now. And once you decided adoption, like what, how has God provided for you? Um, since you have like continued to hear him and to be obedient to what he was calling you to do, like how has he shown up in bigger little things? Yeah. I mean, he's melted this heart of stone, which is like (laughs) a feet in and of, I'm a very like stubborn, I don't know, stubborn. So we're just like, I believe what I believe. And Mm -hmm. like, it takes a lot to change my mind. Um, especially when I think I'm right. (laughs) And so for, um, my heart to be softened and changed in a direction that I was not initially anticipating is just evidence of the Lord at work. Um, I, gosh, there's so much goodness Mm -hmm. that we've experienced in so many ways that we've seen the Lord show up. I mean, for us to, to go from, to be able to surrender this entitlement that I felt of carrying a child, having my own biological child, that was huge. Um, and I remember talking with you, talking with you and Jesse about that, um, on one of our coaching calls and, and you specifically Becky saying, it's okay to take the time to grieve before you move into adoption. And like, really, you need to do that. Um, adoption doesn't cure infertility. It doesn't fix the wounds that, are opened month after month, um, with infertility and that, um, we needed to like grieve that and address that 
before we could move into adoption with a joyful, cheerful, expectant heart. Um, and so to grieve that and then like be able to move into adoption is like, again, this is not our last resort. We're really excited about mm-hmm. this change in our journey that we couldn't see coming. And like, it's so different than what we had planned in this like perfect little white picket fence life that I had planned out for myself in the most radically beautiful way possible. I would never have written this story because I couldn't possibly have seen how beautiful this story was going to be. Um, so, I mean, just that like in and of itself, like heart change between Matt and I, honestly, like our marriage is so much stronger. Um, I mean, moving into adoption over the last year, um, there are ways that like Matt and I have come together in, in just like really united ways that I, we had not done before, but just the process of infertility was refining and being refined is sometimes really painful. Um, and having like buried sin brought to the surface, um, it sucks. was, <laughs> it sucks. And it was so hard and like owning a lot of my own crap that, um, mostly it was me. Like, I'm just like, I feel like Matt's the really easy one in our marriage and I'm the difficult person. And he would probably say the exact opposite. Um, but to have that sin revealed and brought to the surface and for the Lord to soften so many sharp, harsh corners has been such a grace. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, like if we had gotten pregnant right away, like there was so much brokenness in our marriage, um, that like, I, I don't know that we would have made it through if we'd gotten what we wanted right away, because I think I was secretly hoping like, okay, well, a baby will make everything better. Like if we just have a baby, then like this stuff between Matt and I, like it'll just get fixed on its own, which is a lot of pressure, like unfair pressure to put on a baby and, and like not realistic pressure either. Um, and so the kindness of the Lord to, have us wait to cause us to struggle through infertility so that we can be closer together as husband and wife, a stronger, more united front, um, was, was, I mean, it was just such a kindness. And and then to come to adoption, not taking parenthood for granted, not, um, no longer feeling entitled, but grateful, mm-hmm. um, and joyfully expectant, but still holding everything with very loose hands has prepared us. I'm hoping has prepared us for parenthood in ways that we would never have been prepared. I, 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 you were talking earlier about looking back on our old selves and being like, Oh gosh, if you only knew. And that's one of those things I'm like, Oh gosh, the God in his kindness spared us from that. Because if we'd gotten pregnant right away, like I, I can just see myself being one of those moms who like, resents her kids because they prevent me from having the, the life that I want, the, the, the self-centric kind of life where I can do whatever I want, have the freedom that I want, go where I want, work when I want. And my kids keep me from these good things. And I can absolutely see that having been me, if we'd gotten what we wanted right away, but because we've had to wait for so long and, you know, maybe for whoever's listening, like that's not who you are. Maybe you are already joyfully expectant, but holding things with very loose hands, but that was not who I was. And I needed God to soften me in that way. And so here we are four years later, joyfully and hopefully expectant, but with being able to walk into the situation and say, not my will, God, but yours. And if you choose, like you give and you take away. And if this is a situation where you choose to take away that you are still good. And if this is a situation where you choose to give, we will be so, so grateful and not entitled because we know that this is a gift from you, not something that I'm owed, not something I deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Um, Abby, before I want to talk a little bit about like what's coming for you guys and your family. But before I know that we've had a lot of conversations in the past of like, what if you are listening and you're either going through this or your best friend is going through infertility or even if it's not infertility, if it's something that's just a like hard season that's so specific that like you almost don't know how to react or what to say or how to help like what has helped you the most like during the season of waiting and infertility from like practical standpoint from your friends, from your family. And everybody's different. I get it. Like we're not going to have you and I might say, oh, this is the most helpful, but somebody else might have a different personality and that's not most helpful. But I've, I've had this conversation so many times in so many different ways with different people that I just love to hear from you. Like what were you needing or did you think you needed or what was most helpful or what encouraged you the most? Like how can somebody listening encourage somebody that may be going through a season 
of infertility or just a, a very tough season in general? I think honestly, one of the most helpful things for me was when friends were willing to listen and let me rant, um, and not judge me on it. Um, when I could call my friend Sarah and, and say all of the like ugly, like unkind things that I was feeling and for her to be like, I love you. And I'm going to be praying for you. And that's not to say friends who don't like rebuke you when you're being awful. Right. Um, but just friends who didn't judge me in the midst of my pain, Mm -hmm. um, and who allowed me to say what I needed to say and say, and, and instead of offering a fix to just say, that's really hard. I'm here and I love you. Like what, what can, is there anything I can do? How can I be praying for you? Um, I think one of the least helpful things was when people would try to offer solutions. I think it's Brene Brown who says an empathetic statement rarely starts with, well, at least, mm-hmm. um, like, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant if you're someone who's had like multiple miscarriages, like, you know, that's not a, a helpful thing to hear. Um, or like, well, at least you have all of this amazing time to go on vacations. Like, yeah, vacations are great, but that's like, I would rather have a baby than be able to go to Paris again. Um, and so I think just, if you don't know what to say, just say, I love you. Like I'm here and I love you. Um, I, I think that if you know someone who's also going through a season of infertility, who's like willing to talk about it and you sense that your friend just needs someone to be able to be like, Oh my gosh, me too. Offer to connect them. Um, I, I felt so alone and so isolated until I had other women who were like, girl, me too. Um, and, and I think that there is something to be said for women who have walked through infertility, whose story didn't necessarily end up with a pretty Instagram bow and hashtag blessed on the end of it, who maybe walked through infertility and never carried their own child. And, um, for me, that was what I was craving in the midst of it. I want someone who's walked through this and who didn't necessarily get what they'd originally wanted to be able to tell me I'm still okay. And God is still good. Like I need someone who didn't get what they wanted, who's not a total bitter mess. Um, because I felt like all I was seeing was, were women who were like, I walked through X number of years of infertility and then I got pregnant with twins and God is good. And I'm like, he is good in that circumstance, but that might not be my story. Mm-hmm. And I need to know that if I never, I'm never able to carry a child that like God's goodness is not situational and it's not conditional. And I need someone who ended up the, where I might end up to be able to tell me God is still good. And honestly, like Becky, for me, that was you, um, for, for you to say, like, I think one of the words that you used were like, I'm not standing on the other side of the chasm. Like I'm still right here with you. And I'm telling you, God is good regardless. He's good in unexpected ways. Um, but like, we don't need our stories to end perfectly in order for his love to be perfect. This is where the weeping begins. (laughs) Um, Was it easier for you? I know for me personally, like I'm a words of affirmation person and I needed, I was craving like acknowledgement of the pain I was enduring. Is it some, was it something for you where you wanted somebody to bring it up? I'm just thinking like practically for people listening. Was it something that you brought up or did you want people to be like, Hey, I know this is going on in your life and I'm, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I know that it's hard and I just want to let you know that like, I see you and I love you. Was, were you hoping people would show up and say stuff or were you able to like decide on your own open up? I know for me personally, I more wanted people to like that I was hanging out with that knew the situation to be like, maybe take me aside for 20 seconds and say something. It was harder for me unless it was a very close friend to like me bring it up and like ask them for some kindness. Yeah, I um well, so we started sharing online about our infertility, um, started with the blog post in, I think it was fall of 2016. So like 18 months after we started trying. And so I was very like public about, like, I put it on our Instagram. We have a hashtag for it. Um, it's been on my blog a few times. We've also like YouTubed about it. And, and, um, so I started by doing that gave permission to people to bring it up. Like even sometimes perfect strangers Mm -hmm. at conferences, which I knew that was going to happen. And I'm a very open, transparent person. So that was okay with me. And we've Matt and I have always made sure we're on the same page of what we're sharing. Like, are you comfortable with this? If not, I'm not going to share it. Um, 
So I think just de facto from the fact that we shared online, it did become a thing that other people felt more comfortable bringing up because they knew I was comfortable with other people seeing my pain. Um, I think when it comes to asking those sort of like probing questions of like, Hey, how's your heart doing that? I did not appreciate those questions from people that I wasn't close to. So I was fine with people knowing the circuit, like this, the facts and the feelings that I put out there online. I was fine with like perfect strangers knowing those, mm-hmm. but like, I was not comfortable with people asking for more than what I had given already given online. If it wasn't someone who was like in my inner circle, um, it felt like almost like someone like like you're running around naked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, whoa, you're not a person that I'm necessarily like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the double-edged sword of sharing right. online is that people are like, well, you've shared so much. Like I should be free to, to ask questions and nobody ever took it poorly. But I just had to learn, um, okay, wh- like how much are we comfortable sharing with our very close friends? And then outside of that, here's sort of like the the public facts of the situation in that I am willing to share with people who ask that I'm not very close with. So to go back to your question of, um, did I prefer if people brought it up or if I brought it up, um, with my close friends, I really seen and heard, um, when they asked me how I would prefer for them to sort of move forward. So mm-hmm. like if we had friends who were, and there was a season, I know you and I talked about this last summer. We I had like everybody that was close to me was pregnant at one time. And that was really hard for me. Um, and so to be able to tell my close friends of, um, like, listen, I can't be the one that you're going to talk to about nursery plans and first trimester symptoms. I love you, but like, if there's any, like, if you can re- honor me in this way, um, I can still be happy for you, but I just, I can't be that person that you share these things with. So, um, having those honest conversations with your close friends, I don't think you need to tell everyone who's pregnant around you. Don't tell me about your first trimester symptoms, but, um, just being really honest with your friends of like, I, can or cannot talk about this. And then like those close friends, when they asked me, especially when my friends who are pregnant and like nearing their due dates, when they were like, Hey, how are you doing? Um, I felt so heard and seen, um, when they did that. Yeah. I don't know that I would so much bring it up in everyday conversations unless it was like relevant to what we were talking about. Cause I didn't want to seem like the girl who was constantly like crying for attention. Um, but because of that, it meant so much more when my friends would ask me how I was doing. Yeah, I love too how you brought up like boundaries, like having boundaries for yourself. Like I know there was a season in the early years where I was bitter and angry where like I couldn't go to all the baby showers or I couldn't, I had to have specific boundaries to like take care of myself. And sometimes it felt selfish. Like, no, I need to love my friend. I need to be there for them. And I need to, I need all to be all these things, but really I needed space and time for God to like heal me and just quiet and just space. And I think that's really important that you brought that up because I think that if you are going through a season like that, like you have to be respectful of like yourself and give yourself what you need to, to deal in those seasons. And it's just a season. It's not like you're checking your friends, you know, off the a list for life or anything like that. So I love that you brought mm-hmm. that up. Mm-hmm. Um, Abby, tell me a little bit about right now. So we're recording in August. Um, what is day to day like for you and Matt? What's coming, uh, with your adoption, share whatever you're, you're like to share. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Cue the weeping. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, we, um, for, we're, adopting domestically, we're doing domestic infant adoption. And, um, for any of your listeners who are not super familiar with that process, it begins with a home study, which takes anywhere from three to like (laughs) six, sometimes nine months. Um, and then once your home study approved, you hit the wait list. Um, just a couple more steps in there, but essentially that's how it works. Um, and once you're on that wait list, um, some families wait as long as like, gosh, two and a half or three years. Um, so we hit the wait list in, May on May 29th. And, um, we got a call on June 13th. (laughs) Sorry. Don't be sorry, girl. Yeah. We got a call on June 13th that we'd been matched. So just do Um, the math for people who maybe (laughs) didn't hear the first date that you had said. Yeah, it was, it ended up because our expectant mom chose us two days before that. So we were on the wait list for 13 days before we got chosen, which is just like completely unexpected. And, um, 
just so, so like such a grace, such a great, I mean, we got a call from our agency and I was like, Oh no, what's wrong that they're calling something must've gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And they were like, are you sitting down? And Matt and I looked at each other like, Oh my gosh, is this really happening? Um, so we got matched with an expectant mom who is, um, due in like 12 days. <laughs> um, and it's, um, just been like an insane last like eight weeks. We got matched with her when she was 30 weeks along. Um, and it's, it's been like a complete whirlwind of trying to prepare a nursery and, um, just all of the layers of grace that have been present throughout this story in particular. Sorry. So at this point, um, we are just waiting for due date to get here and I'm trying to hold that with super, super loose hands. The very nature of domestic infant adoption um, is that there are fall throughs. I know, Becky, when you guys went to go bring Vera home, it would have taken something really extreme for her to not come home with you guys, right? Yes. Well, with domestic infant adoption, um, the, one of the great things is, is that it's a little, it, it has a potential to be a little bit faster than, um, international potential. I say potential. Um, but then like, as we approach, um, due date, um, that when our expectant mom, if she decides to move forward with her adoption plan, she doesn't sign the, uh, termination of parental rights until after baby is here. And so it's kind of living in this like limbo time of um, wanting what's best for baby and and wanting what's best for expectant mama. We call her M. It's not her name. It's just like EM, expectant mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just like, again, praying like, God, your will be done. Like, uh, you just do whatever you're going to do, God, and like give us peace and patience um, and contentment regardless. So, um, we, I mean, we've prepared a nursery and I've got a diaper bag, which I never thought I'd be pumped about picking out a diaper bag. It's fun. Uh, It is fun. Um, and so, yeah, like at at this point we're just, we're praying so, so hard for her, not, um, not necessarily like, dear God, please let her make this, like, please let her settle on adoption, but just like for her, I mean, yes, we are praying for that, but like, but even more importantly, like God be with her, like give her peace, give her content, um, contentment and confidence, um, calm any fear, anxiety that she might have. Um, and it's just, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about like what we've learned over the last few years of infertility and moving into adoption. And I would say compassion and mercy are Mm -hmm. at the top of that list of, um, all of these assumptions that I had about what birth moms looked like, what, who they were and kind of what their behaviors were like have been stripped bare as we've walked through this with our expectant mom. Um, and so to be in a place where I don't feel difficult, it's, it's really interesting. You talk to your family members about, um, in the state of Virginia, uh, birth moms have 10 days, birth moms and birth dads have 10 days after baby is born, after that period of, uh, after termination is signed, in which to change their minds. And, and you tell that to family and friends and they're like, Oh, and you're like, no, like she needs to have space for that. She needs, like, we want her to be able to really reflect on the weight of this decision. And like, we're praying for her for peace. And, and like, we're praying that God would give us peace and contentment no matter what happens, but we're not offended by that 10 day period. But if you talk to Abby of one year ago, I would have been the one being like, Oh, you know, and just like the, the, grace of God to soften so many sharp corners and refine us and make us more like him. And throughout every step of this journey to a place where we're like, um, our expectant mom has invited me to, um, be in the room when she gives birth, which is so far beyond anything that we were Mm. expecting. And I'm excited to be there, not because I want to be the first person to hold baby, but because I'm excited to hold her hand, Mm -hmm. you know, and like support her and, um, be whatever she needs in that moment, which, you know, I, I share all of that just because it's such a huge change from where we were a year ago, being able to lay down our expectations and lay down the things that we felt so entitled to confidence and surety in like this, you know, that this baby will be coming home with us. We don't know that, you know, like we don't know that baby, what we're hoping will be baby spring, that he's going to come home with us. Um, but we can stay, say, even so, it is well with my soul because God has been so faithful up until now. His plan has been so good up until now and he's not going to change now. I feel like there's not too much more to say after that. Um, 
how I guess I do have one more thing. Abby, like how would you compare this season of waiting, like these expectant days uh, before baby is born and potentially hopefully comes into your lives? Like how would you compare this season of waiting compared to four years ago waiting? Oh, okay. That's a great question. There's a huge difference between the two. Um, waiting four years ago, that two-week wait that I'm sure anybody who's listening is familiar with that, what that is, um, of those like, okay, I think I've conceived, like now we've got to wait till weeks till I can take a pregnancy test was like angsty and, and like anxious and like lots of Googling of like early pregnancy symptoms and lots of me trying to exert control by forecasting the future, um, versus as we wait now, I mean, there's been, you know, I, I still struggle with that from time to time, like Googling like early red flags that an expectant mom's going to change her mind <laughs> and having to stop myself and be like, I, there is literally no way for me to know the future right now. And that's okay. Um, it doesn't make me feel good in the sense of warm and fuzzy. Everything's going to work out exactly as I want to, but just like, I trust that God knows what he's doing. Even if I don't know what he's going to do, I can rest in the peace of knowing that he is in control of the situation. Nothing here is going to take him by surprise. And so like, we just like in obedience need to take this day by day, stop trying to forecast, stop trying to predict, um, stop trying to like imagine how I would feel in each of those different scenarios that I can imagine in my head. Because somehow I think that if I can predict grief, that I can do a little bit of the grieving now and it will hurt less later. Like, no, but the fact of the matter is, is that God will equip us as we need. So I may not have today what I need in two weeks, but like in two weeks, I'll have what I need in two weeks. And, and, and just being able to trust and rest, I would say this period of waiting has been much more content, even though there's a lot more on the line right now. Yeah. Um, I love that. So I, call this podcast for a reason because I feel like I have been freed of so many different things that I, whether it was trying to have control of something or plans or whatever it is in my own life. And I want it to be like a living reminder for me of like what to do. Like Abby, what do you feel like you have been set free from throughout this process? Oh yeah. Um, I would say bondage to the need to control my own life. Um, I've been set free from, um, my own plans, um, from so much of my own sin, um, and being able to live in the freedom of whatever it is that God's called me to do by laying down what I thought that I was supposed to do. I love that so much. And I can relate to that so much. Uh, Abby, thank you so much for just sharing your heart and being so real and honest and raw the way you are all the time. So I didn't expect anything less, but, um, where can people follow along your adoption journey? Where can they, um, just cheer you on and encourage you and see where you're at and stalk you and this cute baby that's coming? Yeah. Well, the best place to do all of those things is definitely on Instagram. You guys can find me at Abby Grace photo, A-B-B-Y-G-R-A-C-E-P-H-O-T-O. I've also got a blog for photography, but Instagram is really where we share most of our life. Um, we have a YouTube channel as well. If you want to check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. Um, Thanks, Becky. I, yeah, I will uh, be texting you and stalking you for over the next few weeks. And I cannot wait to uh, meet this baby. Oh, we're so excited. Love you, girl. Love you.